When you seek approval, you give up your own desires and even the possibility to know what you desire. We may end up belonging to a tribe, but we are banished from ourselves. We lose connection with our most authentic selves. When you seek safety and comfort, you give up growth and expansion. Your fear of making mistakes or the wrong decision puts you in a passive, go-along-with-life state instead of making you the heroine of your own story. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. For thousands of years, women and girls have been taught to be good instead of powerful. Growing up, I was always considered the good girl and I got rewarded for it. I followed all the rules, I got the good grades, and that led me to getting honors in college and becoming a scientist on my way to becoming a doctor. It felt as though that I was just following a path set out for me. And I didn't even challenge it until I realized it wasn't exactly the direction I wanted to go. Have you ever found yourself waking up and wondering, how did I get here? Or have you wondered what rules you were following without really knowing you were following them? Maybe it was one of these three good girl myths. Maybe it was the myth of rules, following external rules and authority instead of trusting your own desires, your needs, and your intuition. Or maybe it was the myth of perfection, demanding perfection in yourself and others instead of embracing mistakes and failures. Or maybe it was the myth of harmony, seeking harmony instead of embracing the conflict or confrontation needed for change. Today, I invited Maggio Malfino to uncover the five good girl myths and self-sabotaging tendencies that we have been taught from a very early age that could be holding us back from owning our power and stepping into our truth. After talking with her, I was amazed at how quickly I personally identified with two to three myths immediately. And once I started having awareness around them, began to shift how I show up in the world. Now, Madro's goal is to help women build creative confidence and unleash their powerful inner goddess. But before I bring her on, I want to quickly sing her praises. Madro Malfino is an Argentine-American author, designer, and women's leadership expert. She is the host of the Heroine podcast featuring top female leaders, creatives, and visionaries. Her leadership program, Ignite, guides women to design and share a creative dream with the world. She has a master's in learning design and technology at Stanford University, and she lives in California with her husband. And she's got a new incredible book that I can't wait to share with you called Breaking the Good Girl Myth. Let's welcome her onto the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Maho, honey, how are you doing today, girl? I'm awesome. How are you? I am doing wonderful. I'm so glad we had a little chance to chat it up before we started this interview. And girl, ooh, I'm feeling your energy. I'm so excited that we're going to be talking about five good girl myths um, and how the patriarchy lives within us, like how it's impacting us, affecting us. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of this incredible conversation, I would love to know, what was that defining moment for you where you knew this was the work that you want to do in the world? I love this question. 
First of all, thank you for having me on, Dr. Marisa. Appreciate it. Uh, so for me, it was really when I was at a festival and I remember that this gentleman came up to me and he said, do you trust me? I want to do something. And I, was, and I thought to myself, hmm, do I want to engage in this? And I just tuned into my body and intuition and decided, yes, I do. And what he was offering was to have a psychedelic journey, to have an experience with him. And it's interesting because I grew up as a good girl, which I talk about in the book. And as a good girl, I would never have imagined myself in the situation where someone is offering me to do something that was so taboo and, you know, quote unquote illegal, right? And it is illegal, but what, but what research is showing and what Michael Pollan has shown in his book, How to Change Your Mind, psychedelics are really actually powerful medicines and tools in opening us up. And so from that journey, from that experience, I was really able to see wow, I have been suppressing my own creativity and my own feminine power for years, for decades, because that's what I've been taught. And when I was able to relax that logical mind, you know, and the structures of the mind that really keep us thinking in a very analytical way, when I was able to relax that, I was able to really tap into my intuition and power. And so that was a very defining moment for me where I'm really glad that I listened to myself and said yes to that journey. Obviously, I don't recommend everyone do a psychedelic whenever and just do recreational things. I really recommend that you do, you know, for me, it made sense to do it in a safe space and to really see that power in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I want to speak to real quick, everyone listening to, you know, there's so many wonderful ways to kind of get there for us as well. And one of the most powerful strategies or techniques that I have really embarked in is breath work, like the really deep, intense breath work where you can really start to dig into that deeper self as well. And then meditation, I find can really open up that too. So I think there's lots of doors that open us up into all the different avenues. I love that that was an avenue for you. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Actually, sorry to interrupt you, but I'm really glad you brought that up because I had been doing breath work and meditation for several years and those things really prepared me for that experience. And I think if I hadn't had that foundation, I don't think I would have been able to be open to it. So I 100% agree the power of breath work and meditation is Absolutely. And and we just have a lot of tools in our tool belt for for really having those self-discoveries. So real quick, the question I was asking was in, in that defining moment, you know, you kind of saw kind of where the direction you wanted to go and, and what you wanted to speak into. But I have a feeling too, that there, there must've been like this call into some of the experiences that you had growing up as well, you know, as, as a woman, just living our day to day. And, you know, I know I'm so excited that we're talking about the five good girl myths and kind of the way in which women are supposed to behave or need to behave. And in that discovery, was that kind of like the aha moment of like, oh my gosh, I've been living this way. I've, I didn't even notice that I was falling into these, this way of, of living the way that my mama said or my grandmother said, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Oh my God. Absolutely. So I grew up as a daughter of immigrants, I myself was an immigrant. So for me, it was all about repaying my parents and not disappointing them. So I spent a great deal of time achieving, getting straight A's, getting the trophies, getting the awards, winning the contest. I was like your poster child, your golden child. And I had done all the right things, you know, in the system of school, family, religion, grew up from a Catholic background. And 
it wasn't until I was at that festival and had decided to do something that was outside of the norms of our, my culture and what I grew up with that I was able to really see the cage I had been living in. And so much of my work with women is for us to see the cage because you cannot break out of something you don't even see. And I think a lot of us still have blind spots. You know, we don't see how we've been really conditioned because it's so deep and subconscious. It's still in the shadow. So my goal with the work that I'm doing and with the book is to help women bring that out of the shadow and into the light. And speak to me about some of the the blind spots that you find that we can fall into that we're completely oftentimes oblivious to. Like, and sometimes I find that we don't really begin to discover those until we are getting to our forties and our fifties where we really start to uh, like shed. If we're willing to go into that, do that level of exploration, kind of shed the misconceptions or the perceptions that we have been wearing for so many years. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, in, I talk about the five girl myths and I want to break down each one, but I also want to back up for a moment and just say, what is the good girl archetype? So we can talk on that level. The good girl archetype is a protective mechanism we've developed as women, kind of like an armor or a mask that keeps us feeling safe and loved in the patriarchy. So the good girl is the way that we align with the patriarchy. So that's a foundational thing. The good girl myths, and there are five of them that every woman needs to overcome, These are the tendencies, the subconscious tendencies that we take on, the behaviors, the thoughts, the habits that fulfill that good girl archetype. And so I go through each one and there's even an assessment that you can do in the book where you find out your good girl formula and which of the good girl myths is primary. So I'll go through the five and then we can, I'll go through them quickly first and then we can break down each one. Or if you feel really attracted to talking about one, we can go, we can go deeper into it. So the first is the myth of rules. There's the myth of perfection, the good girl myth of logic, the good girl myth of harmony. And then finally the good girl myth of sacrifice. So these five things, rules, perfection, logic, harmony, and sacrifice These five good girl myths are what I argue we all need to overcome. But for some of us, one or two is stronger. So we have one or two that are primary. And so the book helps you identify that and supports you with tools and frameworks in, in unlearning them. Wonderful. I would love for you to, honestly, I'm intrigued by all five. Um, (laughs) I feel like some, I know a little bit more than others, but I'd still love to hear your understanding, your breakdown of them. Sure. So I'll go through each one. And what's important to know is they all sound and look different. And each one has a strategy for approval and then powers you give up when you follow that one. The first one for the myth of rules sounds like If I follow the rules, life will be easier and I will get ahead. And the way it looks is it's the tendency to follow external authority instead of trusting your own opinions, needs, desires. So naturally, what are you giving up? Your purpose and self-authority. What is your strategy for approval here? You're being good and you're following others' expectations. So that's the myth of rules. And it's like the most powerful one. It's the one that defines 
all the other good girl myths because in some ways the good girl myths are their own type of rules. So if we can't break the myth of rules, it's going to be really hard to shed the good girl archetype. Yeah, I like that. And then really quickly, you know, I I feel like, you know, from the get-go, from a very young age is where we get a lot of those rules and we kind of, we, we, we don't have that level of autonomy. Quick question for you. And that makes sense that that's definitely the rule that we got to work on first. How challenging is it? Because I feel like that one is rooted in a lot of belief. And and speak to me if I'm wrong on that. Um, how challenging is it for one to conquer that myth? Mm-hmm. This is the sneakiest myth. Because, it feels like it. <laughs> yeah. It's the hardest one to detect. In fact, when women take the assessment, they often don't score that high on rules, even if they're quite uh, they're, you know, they have rule following tendencies because it's the one that can fly under the radar. It's the hardest one to see. So what I, what I suggest women do is to look carefully at each of the spheres of influence of your life in your life. And so there are four that I talk about that have really defined us, especially when we were really, really young. The first is family. So what were the rules you inherited in your family? What were the messages and contracts and agreements you made, whether conscious or subconscious, with your parents, with your grandparents, cousins, et cetera, your tribe? The second is religion. You know, religion also has a lot of authority figures, rules. So what were the messages you got from your religion? What were the messages you got from school? Because school was a really big one for me. I learned a lot of rules and inherited a lot of rules from my teachers in school. The final one you have to look at and really list out all your rules, all your shoulds, is the greater mainstream pop culture, Western culture, right? Where we inherit ideas about how to how to look, how to act, sexuality. You know, these are the the films, movies we grew up with, the music we listen to, the pop culture we consume. That is like uh, reinforcing subconscious messages around being a good girl. You know, how many songs are there out there that's like, oh, I got to be a good girl, got to be a good girl. There's so many out there. <laughs> so many famous songs, actually. That's a really big one. So for the myth of rules, it's really about looking at your communities. What are the communities I grew up with? What were the invisible rules they passed down to me? Love it. So okay. awareness is big there. Aware, absolutely. And I think awareness is that first step. And like, it was so interesting, even with an assessment, getting women from an unaware state to an aware state in that particular myth is, it can still be challenging and just shows how kind of deep seated that particular myth can be for so many of us. So many, I think it's a big one. And, and then it's amazing. There's been meta analyses that have shown girls outperform boys in school, not because they're more intelligent, but because they follow rules. They hand in their homework on time. They raise their hand. They follow teachers and parents. And so they're performing well in school because they're, they're great at rules. I have a question around that. So you, as you were describing kind of the golden child syndrome, my grandparents were immigrants and um, I grew up in a Catholic family just like you, but it was very obvious that they wanted the golden granddaughter, right? And I followed all the rules. I got all the, I got all the straight A's. I won all the trophies, you know, I, all the things until one day I looked up and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't done any of this for me. 
But what was the interesting thing about all of that was that there was a lot of positive feedback, not just some from family, but from the wins that I was experiencing. Like it just kept fueling me along you know, the journey, right? I just kept, you know, doing well, doing well, rocking it out and, you know, stepping into whatever I stepped into, finally kind of claimed it as my own too. But, you know, I'm really curious too. I feel like there's a lot of I don't know if you want to call them false benefits or true benefits, because even though we finally look ourselves in the mirror and we see, oh my gosh, like I've been following this track. I didn't even know it, you know, doing the things my family wanted from me, making sure that everyone was proud of me and kicking, let's be honest, kicking butt, taking names at the same time. Do you regret some of the the benefits or maybe even false benefits that came from all of those rules that you were following? Or the rules that all these girls are following? Yeah, I love that question. I think you're absolutely right. We get so rewarded. Society rewards us again and again when we follow rules. That's why it's hard to unlearn this, right? Because it's so entrenched. And what I often tell clients is, okay, you can go along with the program and continue to be rewarded, but what is the cost to you? So the other side of the equation, you're talking about the benefit. Let's talk about the cost. Right. So like, what was the cost to you in that case when you were just going along with the program? So the ultimate cost and, and lots more, I, my story gets a little bit more convoluted. I was abused as a child. There's a lot of stuff that went down and really I was in survival mode. I only thought I honestly, for me in my, in my high school and college and grad school, becoming a doctor, I honestly thought everyone was going to take it from me. And I was so scared that I was going to lose it all because I had such a massive scarcity mentality due to all the abuse growing up. All the while, there was major expectations for me as well. It was it was strange. It was this duality that I was living. But ultimately, what ended up happening to me, and hence why the work I do in the world, is I ended up with massive chronic fatigue and chronic burnout. And I ultimately ended up getting an autoimmune condition because I basically burned myself into the ground. So at the age of 30, the, the repercussions were health driven. And I find that so many women in their thirties and forties never looked up, never, never focused on them, just ran themselves in the ground for whatever reason it was. And their health that is showing up to be the mirror that they look back at. So I paid a big old price (laughs) for it, but you know, in, in, on a cellular level, and had to really repair. And I always talk about it was that defining moment of self-awareness. Like I didn't know that there was these, these beliefs, these deep-seated beliefs that were driving me into the ground. And unless I addressed those, there was no amount of green smoothies. There was no amount of kale salads. There was no amount of, of supplements that were going to get me out of this hell that I had created for myself until I addressed the big, the big elephant beliefs in the room. And so that's kind of where the cost came for me. You nailed it. That's the cost. The body is the first truth teller. And so many women come come to me as well and say, it's almost like the conscious mind hasn't caught up, <laughs> hasn't gotten the memo. But the cells did. <laughs> the cells did. They're like, you know, your hair is falling out. You're having all these, all these th- problems and symptoms. When the body is showing symptoms, I think that's a huge, huge moment to back up and be like, how have I been following the rules (laughs) and going along with the program? So I talk about this. I just want to, I know we're still on rules because we could, when I was writing the good girl myths, I was like, literally I could write a book for each one. So I outlined three promises that the rules make. If I follow the rules, I'll gain approval, connection, and even a sense of belongingness. 
right? So that's the temptation. If I follow the rules, I'll be in control, gaining ultimate safety and comfort. If I follow the rules, I'll experience more convenience and ease because let's face it, following the rules makes life easier. It does. So then I write, even if the rules give us these benefits, the cost is much higher. When you seek approval, you give up your own desires and even the possibility to know what you desire. We may end up belonging to a tribe, but we are banished from ourselves. We lose connection with our most authentic selves. When you seek safety and comfort, you give up growth and expansion. Your fear of making mistakes or the wrong decision puts you in a passive, go-along-with-life state instead of making you the heroine of your own story. So I go on and on. When you seek convenience, you give up spontaneity, right? Your desire for a formula stifles your unique expression, which is what the world is hungry for. So I think the cost is much greater. And so we have to snap out of this. If you're listening and you feel like you're still fulfilling expectations and following rules, it's time to wake up. I think the one thing that really caught me kind of as a benefit, I think that maybe can catch a lot of women. I mean, the ease and grace, right? I get that. You know, people are wanting it easy. Life is hard at times. My mom always says life is my mama is the queen of life is hard. I can hear her in my mind. I don't believe that to be true, but sometimes it is. I mean, we go through trials and tribulations, you know, there's, it's not always going to be easy, but yeah, we, sometimes we're always going to choose that easy path. But the thing that was really intriguing to me was the control, the, the false illusion of control. Cause I'm assuming that it's an illusion of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because life is uncertain, like life is hard, life is, as the Buddhists say, life is suffering. We have the great mystery of death. I mean, it goes on and on, and yet we are trying to control. And so rules is this really fancy way, real strategy of controlling what we can't. I like, I struggle with that. I definitely, you know, I, I, you you always see yourself somewhere and, you know, relinquishing control, like stepping into that's been my, my, my life's work this last year is surrendering into the unknown and what's pot and the, like so many different possibilities, but control was the one thing I just would, would not relinquish. I totally resonate with that. I know we got four more myths. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's actually control is a great segue to the next myth. So (laughs) the myth of perfection, which sounds like I must perform at a high level without breaking a sweat. You know, it looks like a tendency to demand perfection in ourselves and other people without embracing mistakes, without embracing the messiness of life. And the main strategy for approval is being the best, right? being the best at everything and better than others. So it has a very competitive streak, this this myth of rules. And what I argue you really give up is your creative confidence. It's the first thing that you give up. Vulnerability and authenticity when you follow the myth of perfection. This is my primary good girl myth. (laughs) It's the one that I score the highest on. It's the one that I have grappled with and continue to grapple with. It's the one that I'm the most vigilant about in my own system. Every day I wake up and I think, you know, how is this, how is this going to creep up here? How can I be aware of how I'm comparing, how I'm trying to still be the best, how I'm striving to achieve all these things. How is that for the book? How was it for the book? How was that for the book? Itself, writing oh. this book, you know, oh, tell, talk to me. <laughs> you want to talk about the process of the book? I just mean, because I know if there's a, if that perfectionism is there, kind of under the, you're, you're always kind of managing it and, 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 and getting to that great place with it. You want that book. This is your first big book, right? You mm-hmm. know, you want that book. You want to nail it. 
you want to get it right. You want it, you want it to be, cause it's who it's, it's an extension of who you are. Cause let's be honest, it is, you know, and I just want to take a moment and honor you for that process. But I was just curious how this came up for you when you were writing this book. Oh, well, it's such a great question. The first way it's really come up is in letting go of parts that I see are not as good as other parts. <laughs> I'm like, this section is not as strong as this other section. So I'm comparing sections and then I'm kind of seeing, okay, well this part, you know, if I had spent another five to 10 hours on this one section, I know I could bring it to the next level, but I've run out of time because it's been three years now. So I got to move on, you know, three years from proposal to now. So I've had to let go and allow, put something out there that I know isn't like a hundred percent, a plus, 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 but you know what? It's still amazing. And women are going to resonate with it. And they're going to have a conversation. They're going to have a way, they're going to have a map to understand themselves. You know, I've created an, an entire framework. And so when I tell myself that I'm like, it doesn't matter that the, this little section isn't as good as another. So surrender has been big. And then I read my audiobook recently. And I had to read every single word that I wrote. Have you done your own audiobooks? No, I did not do my own audiobook. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it's a it's a journey. It's a marathon. It, it's a five to seven day marathon. And mm-hmm. so I was advised to have somebody who I'm a big fan of like be in your zone of genius. Mm-hmm. And, Great. Uh, reading an audiobook is not my zone of genius. And so I chose, I chose to not, and there may be a time where I ultimately end up reading my own and especially a book like yours, a little bit different. Mine's a women's, my, my books are women hormone resource books. Not to say that there's a lot of story in it and there's, it doesn't touch the heart of women, but it's, a, you know, there's recipes, there's you know, supplement recommendations. And so I felt like it wasn't the kind of book that absolutely needed to be read by me, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not my zone of genius. So Mm -hmm. I I opted out. Good for you (laughs) because (laughs) it was intense. But the thing that was most intense was having the good girl myth of perfection on my shoulder for three days straight. As you read it. As I read it. Yeah. And you, in your mind, your mind's racing of, oh, I could have said that differently or, you know, as you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that the myth of perfection resists is that you are a messy human and that you're evolving, right? Because the, the thing that I was also beating myself up about was, oh, well, you know, that made sense when I wrote it a year and a half ago, <laughs> you know, I've and, evolved. Exactly. I've evolved. Right. <laughs> and so there's a, the, you know what it's like. Totally. You're, well, especially, you know, this is because there's so much about this book that is really you, mm-hmm. you know, that, that you, this, your discovery, you're really kind of putting it. And so as you develop and change in the process, you're going to have a different, a little bit of your mind is going to maybe shift a tiny bit on those. So I can imagine, I'm, you know, so often how I feel about, you know, women with in perimenopause or I'm definitely, I'm sure my views change the more and more research that I read, but there are some things that I know to be true because they're just true. You know, I'm a researcher. And so, you know, the the facts are the facts, you know, this is what the symptoms are. This is what we know to be true. And so it's a little bit different of a book like this, this takes so much courage, you know, a book like this, because it really is, it's coming from your soul. It's coming from who you are, not only the research, but then really about how you formulated this archetype and how you've formulated the solutions to these myths and what these myths mean. And as you develop, I'm sure things shift a tiny bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you for that reflection. I appreciate it. 
That's going to be amazing. I love it. Okay. So we are, so <laughs> perfectionism and I have a feeling ladies, you are listening right now. I know you're like, mm-hmm. I know about <laughs> this perfectionist stuff. I could tell you. And you know, the thing about perfectionism, you know, in getting us stuck in perfectionism is that we're never, we never celebrate our wins. We never, we never take a moment to savor what we've done because we're either on to the next or we're just, or, we, or that what if, or, oh man, like I should have done it this way or could have done it this way. Like it's, it's if we're never happy, mm-hmm. you know, it's never it's enough. always the, there's always something. It's always something. It's never enough. It's like a hungry ghost. It's yes. endless. It's mm-hmm. endless. It's like an endless monster that's just eating away. Exactly. Inside <laughs> yeah. of you. <laughs> So I love, I love that one. I can imagine a lot of women scoring high on that myth. Mm -hmm. They do. The myth of logic is up next. And I think a lot of your listeners, well, I'll be curious how they relate to this because I feel like you and your show and what you, what your work is, is really breaking this myth is breaking the good girl myth of logic. It's basically when we feel like it's best to follow our mind and intellect over our body and intuition. So it's the tendency to choose logic over intuition. And the strategy for approval is being smart and credible, right? So the ways we align with the patriarchy is the ways we might align with like Western medicine and evidence-based research, which is great, but we know is not the whole picture, right? And then the powers we give up, intuition, imagination, and empathy. This is my number two. This is my secondary one. It's interesting. I when I've given the assessment out to lots of women, I found that this is the most rare myth. To score number one on this means you probably studied something like engineering or sciences, or you went into traditional medical school, and maybe you were extremely book smart, you know, and really aligned yourself with like critical thinking and left brain thinking. And so you've kind of disconnected with your body's intelligence and that deeper emotional intelligence. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think for women, you know, what I've picked up and gathered from women over the years, and, and sometimes we lose sight or do we, do we t- not tap in, you know, of, of between men and women, I feel like, especially as women, as mothers, there's that deep seated knowing and intuition that we tap into. And maybe sometimes it doesn't come on until you become a mom. I, I don't know yet, but I can speak to being a doctor and a, and a biochemist and being in research my whole life and feeling like in order to play the game, that I needed to be credible, that I needed to play, I needed to play that game. If I was going to be taken seriously as a practitioner, as a scientist, I needed to really know the logic and the science. Now, a lot of it's shifted since, since then, you know, what I define myself today is very different, but I think in the come up, going through school, working at really prestigious laboratories, when I was surrounded by only men, it felt that way for me in the beginning, for sure. Because at the end of the day, who, who's running research? It's still a male dominated field. Who is running medicine? It's a male dominated field. And that just angers me to no end, you know, when we're going to flip the switch on that. I mean, I'm definitely, I always want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And so, but yeah, I, I, I can see anyone in that women in that, that the, those, those rules have been written for us and we haven't found a way to break them, like the real ones, rewrite medical school texts, you know, those types of things. We just haven't been able to do it yet. Mm -hmm. I see someone like you breaking this good girl myth in that you are marrying both sides of the coin, right? You're saying, Hey, let's look at the research. Let's look at the science. And correct me if I'm wrong. 
And let us also embrace these alternative ways of knowing about our body and about what our body is capable of. Absolutely. I think that we, the whole, the show is how to become the CEO of your health. I think that so often we've just given our health over to our doctors, to someone else. And we forgot to listen to what's going on inside of us. Like no one knows your body better. No one, no one will ever know your body better than you. It's impossible. You know, they may know the enzymes, may know the language around it, what bacteria, whatever, but no one knows your body. And, and the more that we take claim ownership of that, the more we listen to our inner pilot light, the more we're going to be able to get on that path towards wellness. That is 100% the truth. Yeah. It's important to look at labs and yes, it's important to get, to hear people out, have an entourage, you know, but at the end of the day, you run the entourage. You're the final say in that decision. Amen. I think that's right on. And I think the stakes are really high when we only abide and and live by the good girl myth of logic because we navigate our life decisions. How? Through logic instead of what we truly want and what's truly aligned for us. And then so many, I'm sure you've heard so many stories of women who go to doctors and are not believed, right? And then what happens? They don't believe themselves. And it's this downward spiral of not being believed, not believing oneself. And what's the stake? What's at stake for with that, right? It's often it can cost us our lives, you know, mm-hmm. oh, as absolutely. women. And so I think it's, this is like, we have to break this myth, this very big one. It's a big one. Yeah. I mean, we're falling into it one way or the other. It is the hardest. I mean, I think about, especially as we're older, Mike, I talked to my grandma, my grandma, just uh, my mother's mother, she's, she's 18, 88 and she is about her doctors, you know, and I always paint a different picture for her. And, and sometimes I just do it because I think it's important. I don't think she's going to change her mind about it, but I always want to paint a different, a different side to what her experience is in the medical system. And it does intrigue her. She's still not going to change the way she acts, but at least it gives her a a concept of of how we should be looking at our health. Because at the end of the day, she's never gotten the results she wants, you know? And so I'm like, maybe we should analyze this a little bit differently. And so I think the older we are, the more we were really bought into that. I think it's definitely changing, you know, with women reclaiming their menstrual cycle, women wanting to understand how their bodies work, especially our earlier, you know, generations, our twenties and 30 year olds are just like, enough is enough. I saw my mom suffer. I saw my grandmother suffer. I, that fate won't be mine. Mm, Amen. Beautifully said. The next myth is one of my favorites, actually. It's one that I score low on. Maybe that's why I love it so much. (laughs) It's called the myth of harmony. So this sounds like if I ju- if I just go with the flow and avoid being difficult, there won't be any problems and everyone will just get along. It looks like the tendency to seek and keep harmony instead of embracing the conflict needed for change. The main strategy for approval is being easy to get along with, pleasant, likable. But the powers you give up when you follow the good girl myth of harmony, your voice and truth. Mm. I score real low on this one. (laughs) (laughs) It must be our Italian blood. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I, I didn't, when I was younger, I, I definitely, I remember the trans, my family seeing that transformation in me where, oh my gosh, who is this girl? Who's this woman? You know? And it was a major shift. I went to an all woman's college and man, I got my mind blown, um, at that school. But I remember, you know, I've met so many women over the years who want to keep their peace. I call them the peacekeepers. Yes, exactly. Um, 
and they'll do anything to keep the peace at any cost, but oh my gosh, the cost is so great. Yeah. You're basically stifling your voice. You're stifling your preferences, your mm-hmm. needs, everything. And, and that compounds over time. And then what happens? The relationship deteriorates anyways, because you're in resentment, bitterness. So the big thing I talk about in this chapter is learning how to give people feedback, right? And how important it is to be able to speak up for ourselves. And then I dedicate a good amount of time to how do we leave those toxic relationships? How do we identify what they are? And then how do we leave them? Because they are sucking us. They're sucking our energy. They're draining us. And they're keeping us from our power. Mm -hmm. Oh, amen. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, what I talk about too, is you got to prepare for backlash with this one, because when a woman comes out and says what she really wants and uses her voice, like we've seen with the movements recently with me too, et cetera, there will be backlash. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, all kinds of names. We all know the names. Mm-hmm. We all know the names. You know, we, we, we know what that looks like. I was listening to a kind of a pleasure book I'm listening to is of the first Mindy Kaling book. And she talks about the archetype of women in, in movies and how a woman who is a CEO or an executive, how they're always nasty. They're always mean. They always have a certain look. And she's like, you know, I don't recall ever as I've, I've elevated in my career, never not being a pleasant human being you know, always being nice to people, you know, being just fun to be around in general. Like, why does it have to be that way? Like we can be all kinds of ways, but that it's just the way that society pictures us. Yep. Such a good example of how the pop culture reinforces this good girl dichotomy. It's like either you're this good girl or you're a bad girl. There's like no dimension, multidimensionality. No, it's a black or white situation. There's no gradient here. There's no gradient. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This one is one that I have seen quite, you know, I've seen in a lot of women, you know, like you mentioned, keeping the peace, keeping the harmony. And so some of the tools I offer, you know, how do we have a debrief in our relationships? How do we communicate without shame or blaming others? How do we state our boundaries? I was going to say boundaries are huge here. Huge. Yeah. And how do you state them unapologetically, but in a way that can be heard? So these are some of a few things that I cover in the myth of harmony because it's, I really feel like this one is really uh, huge because you have to let go of the fact that you are not going to be liked by everyone and that you're going to disappoint people left and right as you step into your own voice and truth. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I love it. I love, I'm so grateful this is in there. I mean, I, knew, I you know, there's this knowing that it would be. And yeah, I come across it all the time and it breaks my heart because it's so hard. I feel like it's really hard for women to, to make that shift. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's like a breaking point yes. that we have to get to sometimes. And, and I, and I know you've seen all of these play out and I don't know which ones require the major breaking point, but this one feels like that's oftentimes where I see women are at that just like, Oh, hell, no more. I'm done. I'm over this. I'm mm-hmm. over being walked on. I'm over sacrificing myself for everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and I usually don't feel like it. Sometimes it doesn't happen until like said, we're forties and our fifties and we're just, we're just done. We're done. We've had enough. And that's what it felt like collectively with the me too movement being mm-hmm. like enough, like mm-hmm. we've gone along with just the program. We've stayed silent, right? We've been abused, complacent. we've, mm-hmm. we've been stayed silent. And, but that's how the patriarchy works, right? Like in order for it to continue to spread, 
and for that culture to continue to spread and for the system to continue to exist, it requires us to harmonize. And so using your voice and rebelling against that, pushing back up against that is hard. But the point I make in the book is we can do it on a macro level, but we can do it on a micro level in our relationships, right? And not just with our romantic relationships, but our relationships at work, our relationships with family. What does that look like, right? Because the good girl myths affect all contexts of our lives, not just one context. I really try to show how here's what the myth of rules looks like in relationships. Here's what it looks like at work. You know, Here's what logic looks like, how it plays out when you're trying to make a work decision. Here's how it plays out when you're thinking about what partner you want to marry. So it really does work across different spheres. The last myth, I'm glad you brought up sacrifice because that's the last myth. The myth of sacrifice. I should prioritize the needs of others before my own. (laughs) Deep sigh. Yep. Mm -hmm. Being selfless and helpful and saving the day. That's the strategy for approval. The powers you give up. This is very important because I don't know that a lot of women have really sunk into this knowledge that the power you give up when you follow the good girl myth of sacrifice your time and energy, which add up to your contribution and destiny. So what I'm saying here is the stakes are high. It's not, oh, it's no big deal that I'm putting others before myself. When you do that, you give up your precious resources, right? Time, energy. And when you think about that, that time and energy, what could you be using it for? Your deepest work, your purpose, your destiny, your contribution, This has got to be a big one too. Does this coincide with harmony? Do you find that women score high on both? Yep. Sacrifice and harmony come in a little pair because uh, some of the good girl myths lean more towards what I call, I didn't end up putting this in the book, but I'll share it with you a little bit more towards chaotic tendency. So if you embrace chaos, you're okay with messiness. You may be more likely to be aligned with harmony and sacrifice. Whereas if you have a tendency towards rigidity, like I do, you'll be more towards rules, perfection, and logic. Other ways of using this other language or terms one might hear is masculine and feminine. Some people resonate with that, some don't, but myth of harmony and myth of sacrifice is sort of the good girl leaning more towards the feminine, almost to an extreme where it's distorted and it's not actually helpful. And the others are more leaning towards the masculine where it's distorted and not actually helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that all gets so complicated too. You know, I remember growing up, being coming from a Latin family, everything was family first. Everyone, you were were always last on the list. And that was very much mixed in with my survival. It's like everyone comes first and you're going to lose it all. You know, and so for, for me, this was a huge belief a limiting belief that I was living by. I remember anytime I would make a decision for my own well-being, my family would remind me of how selfish it was, how selfish you are. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been told that I am selfish because I chose this career, a career path, or I did this, or I didn't come home for that, or you know, I didn't take care of my sister in this way. Like always, oh, something. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, it rains down on me. Yeah, and I don't care. I want to celebrate that because that tells me you're on a good track. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just like, I don't care. You know, at this point, you know, it doesn't work. That magic trick doesn't work on me anymore. <laughs> oh, I love but it. So many people are tethered by that. 
that guilt, the shame that's tied to it, the feeling bad that you have failed your family or whomever mm-hmm. you are supposed to protect or, or burst. Yeah. This myth has a lot to do with duty and roles. What were the roles that we were told we had to fulfill as mothers, daughters, sisters? And I have found that this myth is the most multi-generational. It gets passed down from great-grandmother to grandmother to mother to daughter through the matrilineal line. So that's what you have to look like out genetic. for. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just coming through the line. It's yeah. coming through like a waterfall. So you need to be aware, you know? And I think what I love about what you shared too is how you've increased your tolerance for being called selfish. And I think with all these things, with the good girl myths, you have to increase your tolerance for backlash and criticism. Otherwise, you're never going to break them. You have to increase that muscle. You have to thicken the skin a little bit in terms of you're going to get called names. You are going to disappoint people. You are going to be called and labeled things because we still live in the patriarchy and you're upsetting a norm, a gender norm and expectation people want you to fulfill. Absolutely. When you start to change and someone calls you out for that, it just means that you're not doing the behaviors that they're still doing. And it never feels good. You're always going to get that backlash, especially within families of how, how it's always been, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, these are, these are, I love them. I love them. Ooh, <laughs> they, they dig deep. If you're listening right now, like which one is resonating most with you and what I want to encourage, and we're going to talk about the book right now is that, you know, we've only, only scratched the surface and there are so many costs, as you mentioned, to us living by these myths, living by these rules. Mm-hmm. And so talk to me about, I know we kind of went through some of the framework for this, for this book, but talk to me a little bit about what was the vision for you for every woman who read this book? This book is about activation. It's like, I want a woman to read this book and notice the inner patriarch within herself, how she's embodied the good girl myths and the good girl archetype to have an aha and insight and, and be like, whoa, back up and be like, wow, I had never seen that before, but now I do. And in that newfound awareness, it's like all this energy and power gets freed up and now action can happen, right? So it's, this book is an activating book. Like when I think about this book, it's, that's if you see the cover, it's like break the good girl myth and the good girl myth is being shattered, right? Because what I really want is in that shattering for energy and power to be set free, right? Because it's not until we can heal these wounds and look at these shadows that we can really create change because this is, these kinds of things are draining our energy, and not allowing us to really step into our power. So to answer your question, it's very much about activation. I want a woman who reads this to be like, yeah, you know what? It's time for me to begin. Begin whatever you want. What is it that you want to do, right? Because so many women sit on ideas and brilliance for weeks, months, if not years, because they're following their good girl myths. 
Mm, so true. Now, this is going to air right when the book comes out. Super excited about that. So tell me, where would you like us to go? Would you like to just go to Amazon? You want us to go to wherever we can go? I know many of us probably still can't go into traditional bookstores yet, or maybe they're beginning to open or they already just opened. But where can we grab the book? Um, anything else we should know about? I don't know if you have any little bonuses or the little website we should go check out too. Let us know about that. So you can buy the book at goodgirlmyth.com. When you go to that website, you'll have a choice between retailers. I recommend Bookshop. They're really supporting local bookstores. So you had to, but we still will send her that page because there may be some other goodies there just in case. But also we will, she'll have all the retailers on that page as well. If you're just trying to keep it simple, you know, again, you could always just go, you know, always Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever feels good for you. And definitely, if you're feeling like it's time for you to step into the unknown, surrender into your greater self and greatest possibilities, get this book. Get this book. That is the big call to action for this episode. I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your brilliance and your life's work with us. Thank you so much for the last three years that you have given to this book and this process for us to benefit from, because I know how hard it is to, to do that. So many, so many layers of things that have to happen to make this book come out into the world. So thank you. Mm, thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Absolutely. Have a great day. Thanks. Did you see yourself in any of the good girl myths that we discussed in the interview? Now, maybe they don't hold true for you today, but can you recall when they did? I also wonder if we as a culture are continuing to pass down these myths to our daughters. One of my favorite books in the past month that I have devoured is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. She speaks about finally finding her truth and releasing a lot of the imposed beliefs that she was brought up with and finally was able to realize her truth at almost 40 years old. As we begin to pull back the layers, it's not difficult to figure out that we as women have been stifled. I know that I was, and I can see that in the little actions that I take on a daily basis, especially with my struggle with perfection. What I loved most about Untamed and Madro's new book, Breaking the Good Girl Myth, is the insight that both authors share. Madra takes it a step further and offers tools and mindset exercises to break these myths that tend to bind us so that we can share our innate gifts with the world. Now, if you have found yourself relating to any of the myths today and you are ready to break free from some of those beliefs that are holding you back or have you holding on to them, I highly recommend checking out Madra's new book, which I'm super excited is about, is about to be out right now. I will have the link in the show notes for episode 212. And I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. In our next Q&A Friday episode, I'm going to be answering a question that I get a lot. And that is, what is the right exercise if you're dealing with hormone issues? And yes, we can absolutely overexercise or cause harm when our hormones are imbalanced, especially when we're dealing with crazy levels of cortisol or we're dealing with thyroid issues. So I'm really excited to tackle this topic mainly because I have suffered from overexercise and I know exactly what it feels like when you completely burn out. So hopefully this will shed light on how we can still take care of our bodies, rev our metabolisms and really take care of ourselves, especially in a time when our hormones are struggling. Until then, I look forward to seeing you and have a wonderful week and a wonderful weekend. 